Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a, a beautiful weekend and uh, is enjoying their uh, morning, afternoon, or evening, or wherever it is that you're listening to the this podcast. Um, if you're new to the Quantum Heart Cafe, it's a space where I talk about current events, but they're not the kind of current events that you hear about on the mainstream media. It's more to do with uh, technology and the rollout of Web3 technologies, uh, token economics and emergence, uh, but as well as other uh, topics that I find in interesting. And, and what I do is I read books that are, are related to these topics, and then I enter I interwoven the, the either the stories or the information I read it in the books with what's going on in uh, kind of the wider society because there's a lot going on um, with the rollout of these new technologies that's not being talked about and it's really important. So that's kind of at the heart of this show. And the reason I call it a cafe is because I also include a bit of, you know, philosophy and spirituality and just my overall thoughts. And of course, I talk about coffee. Um, and uh, and this morning, I enjoyed a really nice cup of coffee. It was a store-bought brand again, uh, just because I haven't had a chance to get out to any of the independent coffee shops and buy more beans from them. I'm hoping to start doing that again uh, this starting like next week and, you know, talking about blends that I, I've been trying out and, uh, I still really enjoy the pour over coffee and just because the coffee is just a real, it's a different flavor. Like, cause the bean, it takes, you know, the beans, because you have with pour over coffee, the process is slower. So you get more flavor out of the beans. Whereas when you're just kind of pouring coffee over, a filter or however else you make it, you don't get that kind of rich flavor. Um, so, you know, I still talk about coffee and, and eventually teas and stuff like that too. And I usually like to include a moment of gratitude with my shows. And uh, today uh, I'm grateful that because uh, we've had some really hot weather over the last little while. So I'm just grateful to have a little bit of a cool down. Um, it was kind of cloudy and, and rainy last week, which is nice. And it was a nice break from the hot weather. And, and I'm actually doing this podcast this morning because it's supposed to be another hot day today. So I figured that in the morning while it's cool, it's not as it's a little easier to do a, a coffee or a show. Because when it gets hot in the afternoon, then I'm just kind of like, you know, that feeling where you're sitting in sweat and you're you're trying to do anything, but I can't have fans on or anything. Or I could, but you just hear the fans blowing in the the background. So I'm trying to try not to do that too too much. Uh, so I figured doing it this morning would be ideal. So uh, I'm grateful for that because um, has been pretty hu hot and humid where I'm at. So it was nice to have a little bit of a break. Um, and I hope that whoever you know, and I hope for whatever you're grateful for, um, you know that you enjoy your day and have a blessed day. And for to and so today's show, I'm going to be talking about or continuing my series on the book Emergence by Stephen Johnson. Uh, last show, I talked about um, emergence and feedback, where 
uh, a complex system for in order for a complex system to become adaptive uh, it needs to have feedback grown it or added into it and emergence is the book i've been reading for the last i kind of did a, a series where i breaking down uh chapters so if you if you're new to the show and you haven't listened to it before uh you can go back and find the previous uh shows and kind of uh, learn a bit more about emergence but it's more so artificial emergence because it's just how uh it's like this higher level emergence is or artificial emergence is the interaction of many individual uh people or i mean they call them agents but i'm going to call people human beings because we're human beings we're not i, I want to try and avoid using that cold language of agents unless i'm talking about something that they said uh, and what they want is this higher level behavior or these higher level patterns that come from uh, thousands of interactions among uh, people. And the way they get the patterns is through sensor networks and through data and through gathering data about how people behave in groups and so on. Uh, so that's kind of at the heart of artificial emergence because I know this this is going to sound sci-fi and I wish it was but it it's not like there's there is a group of people on behalf of the system that want to create like this world super organism and that are interested in socially evolving human beings and actually all life on planet to uh merge living beings living organic beings with uh synthetic biology which is like nano machine like nano machines or particles and these you know lab growing things that they want to integrate us with so that they can create this synthetic life on earth and so um emergence comes into play because then they're trying to find the higher level learning that would lead to like this global super organism and again I know that sounds crazy but if you look up Oliver L. Reiser's The World Sensorium as well as um, The Global Brain and that one was by hang on I was going to pull up his name uh, just got to grab his I can't remember the name of the author off the top of my head I'm just going to grab his name Howard Bloom. So Howard Bloom also wrote a book called The Global Brain, The Evolution of Mass Mind from the Big Bang to the 21st Century. And again, like there's these people that, you know, believe that human beings are moving towards some sort of a super organism. And because we're so interconnected with the internet uh, and with all these net, these electronic networks and stuff like that they think that that's kind of like the nervous system of the super organism <clears throat> and so they're interested in birthing this embryo and again i know this sounds really weird but it's it's in there so that's where emer like this artificial emergence kind of plays a role in that <clears throat> where they want to have these this memory this learning um this collective memory I guess would be the basis of the superorganism so that it can remember and learn and grow as a as this embryo. 
I don't think they're going to be successful with it, uh, but they are going to try. And the reason why I'm talking about this on the podcast is because I'm concerned that they're going to hurt innocent people and other beings. And while this doesn't, this may not make sense right now, I think it's going to become more relevant as we see this stuff rolling out over the next five to ten years. And there are amazing people uh, already talking about this. I'm, I'm one. I'm hoping that my voice adds something to it. Um, you know, Allison McDowell and uh, J- Jason Bosch with his uh, the YouTube channel Argus Fest, and uh, Alice McDowell has a really good blog, an, an excellent blog called Wrenching the Gears, and she's done an amazing amount of research on what's happening. And then there's also another uh, website, the Silicon Icarus, and that um, with Leo since. Uh, Sincino, I hope I apologize to, if I mispronounce his last name, and uh, Ra- Ra- Raul Diego, and they talk about more of like the blockchain, and the social and the token economics. And that's that's part of import. That's really important because token economics is going to be used to manage human behavior and our character, like and character and human character. And I'm going to be talking more about that in the in the upcoming show very like very soon because i want to talk about the behavior uh theory and token economics because i feel like that's also really key and, and important so that's coming up so if you don't understand what those things mean i'm going to be talking about them throughout the show so it'll be a chance to learn those things and i'll also leave links to uh the like the the people I've been the other researchers I've been talking about. So if you're interested, you can learn more from them. And so for today's show, I'm going to be covering. So there's two more chapters left in the book, and I'm going to be covering the chapter uh, called Control Artists. They're shorter chapters, so they're gonna it'll, it'll be shorter episodes. Uh, the last two episodes would be a bit shorter, um, but they're also just important because uh, there's a lot of information in them so I tried to so I have like some powerpoints and I've been just kind of pulled and what I do is I just pull um notes and points that I think are uh relevant so I'm going to begin talking about uh the chapter um on control artists in emergence and uh the first part talks about a program called star logo and so star logo was designed by uh, Mitch uh, Resnick's who and it's a program that is meant to study emergence and I did briefly mention uh, Mitch uh, Resnick before in at the beginning of the series because uh, he um, his program has been looking at uh, slime mold cells but they're artificial slime mold cells like they're in the program um, but throughout the show, I've talked about how these researchers are really interested in social creatures like slime mold and ants and like termites and stuff because they think that uh, they can understand how to create artificial emergence by studying these beings. So they're really interested in slime mold because it's they're interested in how um, individual slime mold cells will come together and create like a one big organism like or slime mold organism and they do this by 
uh, pheromone trails. So if a slime mold, if an individual slime mold cell finds food or finds something that um, is beneficial for the other slime mold cells, they'll leave a strong pheromone trail. So other slime mold cells will pick up on that pheromone trail, and then they'll um, they'll follow it, and then eventually you'll have a bunch of slime mold cells. Um, kind of becoming a super organism and then they'll they'll feed on whether whatever the food source is or or whatever the, the stimulus or trigger is to um to form the super organism they'll follow through like they'll finish eating the organ like whatever it is they're eating and then once it's done uh once the need for the super organism is has kind of passed the slime mold cells they um they'll go back to being individual cells. And so they're really interested in, in studying how those those groups, like how individuals come together in groups and form a superorganism because that's what they're they're really interested in is in that kind of global super organism. So they figure that like ants and uh slime mold cells can offer that like a, a way to do that with human beings and star where star logo comes in is that mitch resnick created a program to simulate the cell the slime mold cells so within the program um researchers can manipulate different variables uh which would would um change the effect of how the slime mold um like how they form superorganisms and like how they behave in the program uh, I do want to point out, though, that it's a person that's creating these rules. Like, throughout the book, Stephen Johnson talks about how there's... He talks about, like, decentralization and how emergence is this bottom-up system. And I think natural emergence, like the emergence that comes from the creator and that comes from being part of a cosmic... Uh, the cosmic family, if you will, or, like... The, or being because we are cosmic beings like we're all made of stars like we're all made of the same stuff and so there's natural emergence that comes from nature and god or the creator or however you want to call that the the being um there's that natural uh emergence and then there's their their artificial emergence or the system's artificial emergence and so i, I want to make that distinction um, and so they are artificially simulating emergence in this program, which is controlled. Like this is not a bottom-up system. It's going to, there will be central control. Well, you'll have people making rules like programmers and game designers and stuff, making up rules to control what happens within artificial emergence. Like it's not going to be. Like there'll be an illusion of free will, but there won't be. Um, but when it comes to like the important stuff, they'll definitely have a more central control. Like it's not going to be this decentralized system that the marketing is telling everyone. Um, and then, so like I said, uh, Mitch Resnick uses the program. Uh, he uses slime mold cells in his star logo program to simulate artificial emergence. And then in the program, 
uh, the slime mold cells emit a green light substance that acts like a pheromone trail. Uh, the pheromone trail normally only lasts a few seconds, uh, but the pheromone trail has a gradient, and each slime mold cell sniffs the gradients to find each other. And if this, if the gradient in the pheromone trail is strong enough, that'll trigger um, the slime mold cells to come together, kind of like how I talked about. Um, and then artificial emergence is sensitive to uh, the initial conditions in the environment, and the system would be the one that creates this, the simulated conditions or rules for emergence to happen. So I think what's ha what that basically means is that for artificial emergence to work, like the environment has to be, um, the environment that we live in has to be controlled to a degree to allow emergence to uh, happen. And the way that they're going to control that is through sensor networks, um, blockchain, and, and token economics, or at least that, that's how I think they're going to be doing that. Um, because... Yeah, like I said, the the rules for like rules and feedback are important for emergence, like I talked about in the last show, and they come from and the environment's going to play an important role in it, and that's why you're seeing a lot of development and a lot of like high density. It's not because they want to give everyone a house, like they well know that there's a housing crisis. Um, it's because they want to put people in these tiny homes. Uh, where they can manage and control the environment through sensor networks. And they're already doing that. Like in a lot of buildings, new buildings and new high-rises that are going up, like there's, you know, you're surrounded by glass and there's sensors all over the place in your home. And then they're, now they're putting in these smart appliances and these smart devices all over the place. And it's designed to gather data on you and your family. It's not designed, like the convenience thing is another marketing gimmick. Like it's not gonna make your life any easier. And actually I've noticed that these appliances are tiny. Like they're putting in these small stoves and these small ovens and stuff. I'm just like, how are people supposed to make food? Right? But you know, with these meal programs and stuff like that, they wanna manage like everything, our food and everything that we do. And they collect data data on it, and they collect data on how we make decisions about it. Um, so there's a lot more like going on than just what the marketing tells us. So it's really important to be aware of that and how the environment is changing to allow for the emergence of this superorganism or the attempted emergence of this superorganism. Because again, I don't think it's going to work. Um, and then Stephen talks so. Stephen then talks about uh, Frederick Fobiel, who is the German educator, and he created the, and he's the one who's credited with inventing and uh, coining the term kindergarten for kids. Uh, he also created the Fobiel gifts. I hope I'm saying his last name. Um, and they're a set of toys that are designed to encourage kids to think about what they learn and how they learn it. And that's really important because. They really want children, like the people who are creating artificial emergence, like they, Alison McDowell has done an amazing job documenting how token economics and like smart contracts and so on, like are 
they're really going to be used to siphon the creativity of children so that they can build out this emergent system, like this complex adaptive system. Um, you know, because kids are naturally creative and playful. They're also the easiest to get data from. You know, they're a little easier to read than adults are. And that's why you're seeing a lot of the edutech, educational technology in schools and stuff. And so they really want kids and they really want to indoctrinate kids to think that, you know, a digital life is normal, like a life disconnected from each other and disconnected from our natural world. And then having this artificial world, you know, wedged in between us and the natural world and us and our creator is normal. And it's not like, it, you know, there are people that can see that's not normal, but they want to control the education and indoctrinate kids into thinking it's normal. And that includes toys. And what's interesting is that, you know, back then, I mean, I don't think that Frederick uh, Fobiel, who was the inventor of kindergarten, um, you know, intended to ever harm kids. I think um, I looked into his background a bit and he seemed that he was genu genuinely interested in how to help kids, like, uh, kind of find their gifts and, and play and, and interact with the world and stuff. Like, I don't think he was, you know, it doesn't seem that he was ill-intentioned. But what the system does is it takes a lot of really good ideas and a, a, and spiritual and healthy spiritual practices and healthy ways of being and, and uses it for its own selfish purposes. Or if it can't do that, then it tries to get rid of other perspectives and other things that would compete would be what that sees as a threat or a competition. Um, and now what we're seeing is like, you know, instead of wooden blocks and, and like action figures and stuff, kids are getting these interactive toys where they have to, you know, go online, like there's the physical toy, but then they go online and they join an online community and they start playing games and games is how, it's really is games is how kids uh, start to interact with the emergence and artificial emergence. Like games like SimCity and The Sims, those are artificial emergence. And even in the book, Stephen Johnson talks about how the SimCity game was like the the it was important because it it marked the how or marked how emergence. Instead of just studying emergence, now people were starting to build emergence. Like those, they were starting to create it in the real world. And the difference, and with SimCity, it was like it wasn't just like a scientific uh, program that was created for a small amount of people. It was a program that was uh, accepted by a wide uh, audience of people. Like it became like a cultural. Um, kind of, I guess, a cultural phenomenon, or it became part of, uh, like, entertainment and, um, like, mainstream culture. And so, you know, you started to, with The Sim City and Sims, you started to see emergence coming into video games. And, <clears throat> and now, the, and that trend is going to, has continued and it's going to, and it's going to continue to go that way. Um, and now, you know, they, and 
you know, the video game designers and stuff really want uh, kids because when their kids are interacting with these games, they can collect data on the characters of the kids, the psychological um, makeup of the kids, and they can use that data to manipulate the children. They can use that data to figure out who, you know, who's going to be good leaders and who are going to be like troublesome, air quote, troublesome, and who, who's going to be, who's going to go along with artificial emergence and who won't and so on. And so they can create these profiles and then they can also create this predictive analytics and there's a whole like smart contracts and so on where hedge fund managers are set to make bets on the kids like if the kids are going to go choose this direction or if the kids are going to choose another direction I mean it won't be just kids like adults will get will get it too but they really want kids like they don't care they care about adults and they want everyone at the end of the day but they really want kids and so uh and then that's really important to bear in mind and if you have no idea what I'm talking about it's okay like I'm gonna continue talking about about this stuff throughout the show throughout the shows I do um and of course I'll have some fun and talk about spiritual stuff too but I just think that this is really important um and so now with games and these interactive toys uh it's like Fobiel's gifts have been co-opted to uh, manipulate and fool or trick kids into thinking that this artificial emergence is normal. And a lot of these games are like the video or a lot of these toys are like the video games, like the popular online video games and stuff like that. So, um, and kids have even used the star logo um, program to model the phenomenon of a lot of things interacting in a system like you know flocks of birds and cars on the highway so they want to really like work with kids um, you know again to kind of manipulate them and and into thinking that this kind of life is is normal but then they also want to capture the creativity and the um their gifts and use them to create this artificial emergence. It's really insidious, actually. Um, and then the star logo is a centralized uh, system. And so just a bit more about star logo. So it's a, a centralized system and it influences and it influences indirectly or, or sorry, the program is influenced indirectly by uh, individuals programming the slime old cells to follow patterns and trails left behind by neighbors. So Steven says that uh, programmers only control the micro behavior, so that's like the small behaviors of individual slime mold cells, but that has a way, and, and they don't have any say over the macro behavior of the system. They just press play and see what happens. Um, but I don't understand how that, that's going to work because micro, like in esoteric studies, the micro world and the macro world. So that it's basically saying like you as an individual and your environment. Um, so it's saying that you as an individual only have, you know, you can only control yourself and you don't have any say over the bigger macro world. Um, yes and no. Like, 
Yes, we only have a degree of free will when it comes to the macro world. But at the same time, when you change your inner world, the outer world changes with it. Like the outer world and your inner world are intertwined with each other. They're not really separated. So what we do as individuals, like when we do the inner work and when we, uh, and the decisions we make as individuals, they do matter and they do, it does send a ripple out into the environment. So I don't know. I disagree with that. I don't, I mean, they know that, I mean, they're the ones who are trying to control the macro behavior of the system, like behave, like they're acting on behalf of the system. And so they're trying to control the larger macro, like the big stuff, the big behaviors of the system. Um, and then get us to think that only our individual, like our individual choices don't matter, but they do. Um, they go somewhere. Like whenever, when we do the inner work, like spiritually and psychologically, that does send a ripple out into the world. We don't know where those ripples go for per se, but it does matter. Um, but anyway, that's, I don't know, that's their thing. And then he does, Stephen Johnson also, throughout the book, he's been talking about evolution and natural selection uh, in regards to not just human beings, but software programs. And so he continues talking about that here, uh, where he talks about how future programs will embody natural selection to weed out programs that aren't suitable for reproduction. And in a way, I think, I wonder if those programs are also individual human beings because again like these people that are the system and the people that are acting on behalf of the system are very much interested in uh like socially evolving people to be to this stupid idea of utopia and perfection like it's not going to work like there's no such thing as perfection um but they want to try and push people that way so there will be a natural selection but it'll be done through like token economics and, and programs and the data collected on us and stuff like that because you know if you're a good little boy or girl and you have all the badges and the data and that you know the system approves it and I guess maybe you'll go on to like the next level or you'll be allowed to have children like I mean, that, those are just my thoughts on it. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but that just based on their own language, it feels like that's possible. Like, anyway, I, I am going to be going more into token economics and um, and that sort of thing, but I do want to just kind of point out that there is a relationship between natural selection, uh, eugenics, and what's happening now like with the rollout of this technology. Um, but it might not be the eugenics of the past. It might look a little different. Um, and it could be where they use data uh, and analytics and credentials and badging to kind of weed people out, if that makes sense, and to weed out, like, as well as, you know, like software programs and stuff and maybe other creatures too. Uh, 
Like, I, it might not happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does. And then um, Stephen also started talking about, like, number sorting programs as an example of natural selection. And he's, uh, he credits Danny Hills as an example, as someone who created, uh, who used natural selection and, and start, and tried to create like these, um, programs that can learn. And so Danny taught the computer how to learn on its own through these, through natural selection and number sorting programs. So he used what's called a connection machine. And a connection machine is like a supercomputer, but it's designed to um, study artificial intelligence. So it's a computer that's dedicated towards the study of artificial intelligence. So it's it's a bit different from just a regular supercomputer. Um, and then at first, Danny only had a few mini programs that could do the number sorting. Um, but the, And then Danny started uh, crossbreeding programs to create new generations that can sort do number sorting uh, better than their predecessors. And then he talks about the fitness landscape. Uh, so Danny created powerful super, uh, number sorting programs that um, that were better than their predecessors, but he was saying that eventually uh, the computer had reached a limit where the digital gene pool maxed out at seventy-five percent. So I, that would mean that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be any more <clears throat> natural selection after that. Like the 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 number sorting programs were as good as they're gonna get. Um, so he calls that the local maximum fitness landscape, where they reach like <clears throat> where they they kind of max out at the the natural selection process. Um, the fitness landscape is where, uh, where if a, an area or a place where if a program does something successful, uh, then the next generation will do the same. And then the program moves on to higher eleva elevations where the fittest are expected at the peak. Um, I guess this is also including topology, which is a part of uh, data analytics where they and maybe that's where topology comes into is is kind of keeping track of that fitness landscape and keeping track of the you know who's the top who's the alpha in the in the programming group um, and if and then the programs like I said eventually the programs max out or they would max out about 75%, so they would stop. Um, the natural selection process would stop once the programs had maxed out their gene pool. And uh, Danny Hillis didn't like this, so he tried to... Um, he wanted them to continue to evolve, so what he did was he uh, introduced um, predators so that the... in the program, so that the these mini number sorting programs couldn't stay at the top peak for too long. Otherwise they'll trigger a predator. So they had to like come down off the peaks and then continue like looking for ways to improve and get better. Otherwise the predators would get them. Um, so the pro so as a result, like the programs wouldn't stay 
at the they wouldn't max out at the seventy five percent because they knew that if they did that, the predators would come, and destroy them. So they had to constant the programs were constantly, or they were pushed to constantly look for good opportunities. Um, and that doesn't really sound like natural <laughs> emergence to me. Like that sounds like someone who's being forced and controlled to do, um, to evolve in a way like that anyway so um and then Stephen Gunn goes on to talk about how um if he wonders if uh, ordinary computer users will be able to experiment with emergent software and in a way like I already talked about like games being emergent having emergence built into them now so computer users are already starting to uh, experiment with emergence. And then he uh, writes that control issues have been an important topic in digital media spaces um, because making something interactive involves a shift in control. Uh, he said that some emergent games or software released over the last 10 years or so have already challenged, challenged our sense of control. Um, and video games already mess with our sense of control and the Nintendo generation has been prepared for the uh, mediated, mediated control of emergent software. Um, <clears throat> and I think what that pretty much like the Nintendo generation again he's talking about like kids who grew up with like the video game con consoles like myself <clears throat> and then the who grew up playing a lot of computer games and stuff like that it's like we've already been like um i guess groomed for this because we're so used to we're so used to interacting with video games and like uh computers and multimedia and stuff like that so it's like and again that's why they they want younger generation generations to build this artificial emergence because it would seem like natural when it's not and he's just talking about when he's talking about control issues he's saying that in the game emergence like because he did talk a little bit about sim city earlier in the book and he was saying that in sim city the player never really wins like whenever the player makes a decision uh and if you're not familiar with sim city it's a game where you kind of build like this virtual a virtual city and a, a virtual world and there's all these different like constraints and variables that you have to uh, take into account when you're building it and so you know if a a player makes a decision to do something in a in a part of town um you know if he builds a school or a police station or something then it's going to have an effect in another area of the game like it'll, it'll trigger other variables and events to happen so it's like whenever players in the game make decisions all these other things happen all these other events take place and so it's like the goalposts are always moving and so there's no real sense of winning like the winning is always like a as soon as the player feels like they've won a game or they've advanced something else happens and if you think about it like that's kind of what they want to do in 
the real world and it's already sort of happening anyway like there's already like this um allison mcdowell often talks about how we may already be in a simulation and i tend to think that that's true because i mean you know if you think about it you know whatever there's a sense of winning <laughs> in this system they always move the goalposts on us you know something else comes up in our whether it's in the individual life or as a group or what have you like there's always something and so it's like it doesn't like it feels like as soon as you get to some place something hap something else happens and then you have to deal with this other thing so there's no real sense of winning um and even just in naturally like in natural emergence like you know things happen so you know the sense of control was already kind of has always sort of been an illusion. Like there isn't really that we have some degree of control as individuals, like just talking spiritually, but there's also some things that are just out of our control that happen. Uh, but naturally I'm talking about like, you know, just life events and stuff, but with artificial emergence, I think what they want to do is try and control the uncontrollable is to try and control these events. And so if you make a decision to go down path A instead of path B, they want to, um, they want to have a degree of control over that where they nudge you to take path A instead of path B, even if it seems like it's not a nudge, but, and then if you do take path B, then there may be consequences to get you back to path A. Um, so I, I know he talks about like, like the people who are designing the artificial emergence, they'll have control over their emergence, but, uh, you as a player or as a, a sim or an agent, you won't have any control because, or your sense of control will be like greatly challenged because there'll be nudges and certain things that happen where they will like the artificial emergence or the system will try and get you to go down a certain path and if you try and move away from that path then it'll try and nudge you back onto it if that makes sense so there is sort of a distinction there between <laughs> or there is a distinction there between artificial emergence and a natural emergence Natural emergence is just the life events that happen that we have no control over externally, but we do have con we still have a degree of control in how we respond to them. But that's like nature and our relationship with God and synchronicities and stuff that happen naturally. And then there's the artificial emergence where we won't have as much control as individuals. Um, and we'll be constantly nudged towards something else. And then even if we feel like we've won something or we've accomplished something, that'll trigger something else to happen. And then that will upset that sense of control because the the game designers and the hedge fund managers and stuff like that, are there'll be bets placed on what decisions you make. And so there'll be a lot of third-party interference and manipulation over what you can and can't do. So I hope that makes 
sense. I'm going to continue talking about that, but this could, this uh, chapter is on control artists. Um, and so the emergent, so he goes on to talk about how, uh, um, talk about emergence, like the software and people using the software. So he continues by saying that the Nintendo genera generation is more tolerant of being out of control and more open to the exploratory process where rules don't make clear sense and goals aren't clear. I disagree with that. I think that, uh, I mean, there's a number of reasons why there's so much anxiety and depression in the world. Um, but I think one of them is being, the, you know, that there isn't any sense of, you know, that kids are constantly, and young people are constantly being pushed to adapt to this system um, that wants to break them and make money off of them and, and gather their data and, you know, turn them into digital assets and... I mean that what that does to a psyche. I mean, it's not good. Like, it's, of course, it's gonna make someone anxious and de and depressed. So yeah, maybe they'll. I don't know so much of the word being tolerant. So yeah, maybe they'll be tolerant of being out of. Actually, I don't even think they're gonna be tolerant of being out of control. I think that they're just gonna. We're just gonna continue to see more and more mental illness and depression and anxiety as a result of these unclear rules or these rules that constantly change at the whim of uh, game designers and hedge fund managers. It's not going to be good. Like it's not, um, you know, teaching kids to be resilient. That's in the face of something that's traumatizing them. That's abusive. Um, I don't think that uh, this whole thing with tolerance, like tolerating uncertainty, like I think that's just doing more harm than good. And there's a whole thing about um, teaching kids to be resilient uh, and adaptive. I, I just think that's there's something that, and I that's something I want to explore more on the show because I just feel like that's abusive towards kids. Um, because they're never able to settle down and establish roots and, and figure out who they are as people and who they are as spiritual beings. They're constantly pushed uh, into this sense of unknown and being out of control. Like it's just like there's no stability or stable ground for them. And that just doesn't, that doesn't, that just doesn't sit right with me. It's hard to put that into words, but it just, it feels wrong. Um, and then he also goes on to talk about how game designers have now become a mix of artists, programmer, and complexity theorists, and he describes their work, um, or, or he notices that game designers often describe their work with the language of self-organization, um, and now games are seen as legitimate forms of transformation, like art and poetry, and so, you know, there is a lot of inter- uh, mixing with art and uh, game design and stuff. And so uh, Emergent System, as he does also talk about in Control Artists, he goes over Emergence and Rules again. Uh, so Emergent Systems are also uh, rule 
rule-governed systems. It's the low-level rules that give capacity to learn and grow. If people stop adhering to these rules or follow their own rules, the system would stop working. So no, no global intelligence and norm, no swarm logic. So those rules and that free feedback is really central to uh, artificial emergence and there will be people appointed by the system that will control and govern the rules that we're supposed to adhere to. It's not going to be a bottom-up uh, system like what Steven Johnson's been talking about. It's going to be disguised as a decentralized system, but at its heart, it's controlled by the, like the predatory system. Um, and then there is concern with uh, designing artificial emergence, and that, and that is, and the concern is that the artificial emergence will behave in unpredicted, unpredictable ways. And Stephen wonders if there's a way to reconcile the unpredictability of emergence with a directed flow of gaming. Uh, he thinks that it could, it could be, the unpredictability could be controlled through a web of association. And as the web becomes more complex and interconnected, um, there will be new patterns of higher level emergent intelligence emerging that and then the the group behavior they'll and then as a result the group behavior uh, might uh, evolve in unpredictable ways based on the emotional state of the individual and external events and so I think they know that there's unpredictability even with artificial emergence in terms of where of how society evolves or where it goes. And I think ultimately they want to control that and move us towards this this uh, synthetic life and the creation of this superorganism. Um, and then there's only a, f a little bit left. Uh, so uh, he calls the god game genre. See, isn't that interesting? They call the the games that have artificial emergence built in, like God game genre. So those are games like the SimCity game I was talking about and The Sims, because supposedly the game designers can control how much free will the agents in the game have. And even within SimCity, there's like a, a control panel where the player can set how much free will the the sims have and they usually set it to like the middle where there's some free will but then there's also uh, some control and uh, the guy who created the program uh, Will Wright he's the one that put in the free will op option um, and he, say, he was saying that you know if you have too much free will it's just chaos in the game but if you have and he kind of, um, it's interesting because he relates that to a nursery or Alzheimer's patients. Um, like he could, like in the game, in the Sim Sims game, he compares the free will or giving free will to the Sims in the game. Uh, he compares that to 
patients in a in a nursing home or people who have Alzheimer's or dementia and how that's a chaotic environment. And that's really important. Like, bear in mind, because I'm going to be talking about this a lot in an upcoming shows, the role, the role that behavior science and behavior psychology has played in creating this artificial emergence and in token economics. <clears throat> because token economics came from studies being done in behavior management with uh, schizophrenic patients. And I'm going to be going more into that, so don't worry. I'm going to keep talking about this. Um, but I just find it interesting how he compares free will in a video game or free will in artificial intelligence to uh, a nursery home or like a mental hospital. And it's because there's a there's a history there. So just bear that in mind. It's really important. So what they're saying, and so I'm just going to kind of wrap up here. What they were saying is that the optimal way to design artificial intelligence is to have like a middle ground of free will and control. But in their view, they'll have the they'll have access to that control panel and to them they'll be the ones who can set the free will like how they'll set how much free will people have in this artificial emergence world and so it won't be too much free will but it won't be too little free will and so they see themselves as being these like demigods who will then control the evolution or the social evolution of all beings on earth through these web three technologies and through uh, artificial emergence. Um, so I only have, I'm going to leave it there for now because there's a bit more in the chapter, but I, I, I wasn't able to include everything and I highly recommend reading the book emergence by uh, Steven Johnson. It's an excellent book because like, I don't, I don't agree with what he, everything he's saying in the book. It's good because it gives uh, a background and it gives an overview what's, of what's going on right now. Uh, so I highly recommend checking it out. If you find it online or if you find it at the bookstore, pick up a copy. Um, I'm gonna. There's one more chapter I'm going to cover next week. And then uh, after that, what I like to do is I like to... Um, in between kind of like the more serious academic books that I talk about, I like to uh, read stories, like uh, especially kids' stories, because I find there's a lot of wisdom in children's stories. And maybe it's because the authors know that they can like put important stuff in children's stories and it'll get to a wider audience easier than if they put it in like a academic book or a more adult story. Um, so I have been finishing, I want to finish the Madeline Ingalls Time Quartet. There's five books. It's her Wrinkle in Time series, and there's five books. I've read four, and I'm going to read the fifth one. And then after that, I'm going to be talking about behavior science and token economics. So that'll be my focus. That's kind of the direction I'm going to be going in uh, for the show. 
So thank you all for stopping by and tuning in. And if you like what you hear, uh, give a, a like and, and share it with your friends. Um, and, and read the books. I encourage you to read the books that I feature on my show. And I hope everyone has a blessed day and a blessed week. And thank you so much for stopping by the cafe. Bye-bye. <laughs>